Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1. Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, again, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3, or on 133 LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. We're going to be talking LSU football with Koki Riley in the next segment. But other than that, we'll have open phone lines on this glorious Wednesday morning and I say glorious because that might have been the best victory of the season for the Astros last night now I mean you could say well well, no of course it was beating the Mets or beating the Yankees or whatever I man we talked about it yesterday when Michael Schwab was on and it was it was a fascinating matchup because you had Martin Perez who has absolutely owned the Astros in his career. He pitches better at Minute Maid Park than any park he's pitched in his entire career. He had a career ERA of 2.05 at Minute Maid Park. He um, he had a um, – he threw a complete game shutout in May against the Astros at Minute Maid Park. He started out, and then he was facing against Urquidy, who has who had nine straight quality starts, which ended last night, and who owns the Rangers in his career, and who leads the major leagues in run support for pitchers. He has he, more runs are scored when he starts than any other pitcher in baseball. Astros, Astros who can't hit a lick, average over seven runs a game when Urquidy starts. And what did they do last night? Scored seven runs. It's unbelievable. So, you, you, I'm thinking all this going in. The first three, after three innings, the Rangers are up four to nothing, and the Astros haven't even thought about getting on base. Like nine up, nine down, as easy as it could be. Um, I, it's like this game's over. I mean, that's what it looked like. It looked like. This game is over. You're down 4 nothing against a guy who owns you. You haven't even come close to getting on base. I'm thinking this cat's going to throw a perfect game. And it's just it's just how beautiful and frustrating and you never know and all the turn that base it's just unbelievable. All of a sudden, out of the blue, this cat can't throw a strike. Now, he wasn't like missing poor, badly. But the Astros just stopped swinging at bad pitch, at pitches that were out of the zone. And I got to tell you, we criticized, and I should have looked it up and given him credit. That's my fault. But the home plate umpire last night was the best job, did the best job of any umpire I've seen all year long. I'm not saying it was the best job because I don't watch every game. I watch a lot of games. And... Of all the games I saw this season, that guy last night had the best strike zone. I don't know. He might have missed a one or two pitches. You're going to miss one or two. But he was really good, I thought, last night. Really good. Uh, and I need a, a 
in the break, I'll try to look up what his name was, but which one he was to give him some credit because I, I tend to criticize when, when I get mad at him. Um, but no, I, I thought he was fabulous last night. And the the other thing that made last night, I mean, there's so many things about that victory were just unbelievable. In the inning where the Astros scored four runs to tie, it Alidmus Diaz, who we're going to get to in a little bit, hit a grand slam. El Pedro Grande, who, by the way, has been in a slump. He, he hadn't hit a home run in a while, and he ain't got many hits. And he, he's in a slump right now. Hopefully he comes out of it soon. Um, he hits into a double play. So it looks like... The inning might be over, but then he walks the next two batters and Alimas Diaz hits a grand slam and ties the game. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That was unbelievable. And then the, and then the, the next inning, they, the, the, the uh, Urquidy gave up another home run. Gave up three home runs last night. And uh, after he had been pitching fabulous for his pre in that nine game start, start stretch. And... Uh, he gets completely shelled last night, and yet he leaves with the lead because the Astros scored two more runs. Big double off the wall by Altuve. I thought it was a home run off the bat. I think he did too. And big double off the wall by Icky, who who showed some life last night. He didn't play over the weekend. He was ill. Uh, he had one pinch hit on Sunday, and he showed some life last night, hitting the ball to left field. Oh. Hello, McFly. I've been asking for this forever. If you're powerful when you play in, you know, if you're a left-handed hitter with some power, why don't you ever hit the ball to left field? And they're starting to do that, and uh, that is just tremendous. And El Pedro needs to do maybe get out, get himself out of his slump by doing that. He's been grounding out to the right side way too much. I think he's just swinging at too many pitches because they're trying to pitch around him, and he's getting anxious, and he needs, needs to chill a little bit. Uh, I'm sure he'll work that out. But – Tremendous. Alimus Diaz. I have been kind of telling myself, you're not giving this guy enough credit over the last three weeks. Because I keep, I keep, you know, in my mind, most of the season, I'm like, I like the fact that he's a good utility guy, can play all these positions and do an above average job defensively. But he's still just a part-time player who, uh, you know, it really would be better if he didn't have to play so much. That's been in my mind, and I've verbalized it a few times, you know, for throughout this summer. Well, in the month of July, Alidmus Diaz hit 311 with a 378 on base percentage, an OPS of 1,027 with six bombs and 11 ribs. He already has six ribs in the month of August. Now, he's not hitting for as good an average so far in August. But he's got three doubles, a bomb, and six ribs in the month of August. So, I, I it hit me yesterday. I'm like, you know what? If the Astros had picked up this, you know, not great player, but like, let's say they picked up Ian Happ. Just throwing a name out there. Not a great player, but an okay player. Let's say they had traded for Ian Happ. And over this first month uh, with the Astros... He did what Diaz has done in did in July and so far in August. Um, you know, six homers, a bunch of doubles, seventeen RBIs. You know, slugging, getting on base. We'd be we'd be all excited about this acquisition. 
but because it was a part-time player who were used to being a part-time player and a valuable utility guy, it's like, so I'm thinking in my mind, if Brantley's out, is it possible that a Lidmus Diaz could be the Astros' new left fielder? Again, I don't want that. I didn't want that. I haven't even considered it until like very recently. Like maybe he could just be the new left field. I, I don't know what they're going to do. I know a lot of people are extremely frustrated because they picked up Trey Mancini and they hardly ever seem to play him. Seemed like he's played as many. He hasn't played in as many games as he has since they traded him. And when he's played, you know, he's hit some three home runs already. Uh, but again, last night, pretty good chance if you don't play a Limas Diaz, you lose the game. And then in the ninth inning, uh, Yuli Gurriel scoops a ball in the ninth inning, which could have they got a leadoff double, and the next ball was hit in the gap. Uh, I'm in the um, in in the five six hole between Shark and and. Uh, Pena throws it in the dirt, and Yuli makes a very difficult scoop that more than, you know, very good chance Trey Mancini, if he's playing first, doesn't make that scoop. So while on paper it looked incredibly stupid, the lineup that they made out last night, might have won the game if they do play Mancini at first and or in left field. So, I I mean, they might have lost the game if they'd done that. So it, it, it's frustrating. I don't know how they're going to manage just the rest of the way. I don't know how long Alimus Diaz can keep hitting this way, but it's maybe it's time for me and more Astro fans to start giving this guy some credit. We'll see um, how that plays out. Um, last night late, the Mariners played a 13-inning game with the Yankees. They won one nothing. If you didn't stay up or, or, or get that information this morning, apparently I didn't see it. Uh, Luis Castillo pitched. Eight shutout innings, gave up three hits. Uh, Garrett Cole pitched seven shutout innings, gave up four hits, I believe it was. And the the Mariners won on a base hit to right field in the bottom of the 13 by Torrance, who's not even a good hitting catcher. Um, and they win the game one nothing. And Luis Castillo has done fabulous since he went to Seattle. The Astros have now caught the Yankees. They are they are tied. Ten games up or ten and a half games up on everybody in the American League, and they both look incredibly flawed right now. The Astros can't hit a lick, and uh, the um, and the Yankees have serious pitching issues. Although they pitch great, you know they've lost. I say that they've lost two games, one nothing in the past weekend, and and just another example of how incredible baseball. This Astro game again was an incredible example of the complexity of the game of baseball. But another example, yesterday when we had Coach Marlin on, I was congratulating him for his Cardinals sweeping the Yankees. Big weekend, had 40-something, 50,000 people there. The Cardinals are all fired up and had this great weekend, and they swept the Yankees, and, oh, we got it going. And then they go play the Rockies, who have been one of the worst teams in baseball over the last month, if not the worst team in baseball over the last month, and they get their face crushed 16-5 to or whatever it was. The Rockies just crushed them. Had a medicine game. That is, it's it, it's funny because it's it's baseball. I mean, it, I think you know there's a lot of reasons why the baseball is no longer pastime or whatever. That people like there there's a lot of reasons, and, and I, I've I've said for decades that the number one reason is football's a a game that it 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 makes more sense to tailgate and get drunk and 
and gamble at than than, ba- than baseball. I mean, you can do that with baseball, but it's just not the same. So, you know, the the whole tailgating and 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 gambling aspect of football just makes it a lot more, um, a lot more you know uh, appetizing for most sports fans in this country. But the other thing that I'm starting to think is, you know, most fans like we talk about, they can't see very far. Like they 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 can't every they they're all most of most American sports media and fans are victims of the moment, and it's hard to be, it's harder to be a victim of the moment in baseball because it changes so quickly. Elite players in baseball go over twenty. There is no equivalent of that in in the other sports. The elite players in the other sports never have slumps that bad. It just. Because they're just better. It, it's, you, you know, you don't, you know, the, um, one of the worst teams in, you know, one in 10 football teams don't beat 10 and one teams by 50 points in a game. Like, happen. well, the Cardinals wouldn't be a one in 10 team, but they would be like, a, you know, a seven and three or uh, seven and four football team. They, those, those teams don't get beat by one of the worst teams in the league by forty points. It just doesn't happen. Now, I guess in basketball it could happen some, but it's not gonna happen in football. Um, and so it's just you. It's harder to be a victim of the moment, a prisoner of the the now, a prisoner of the moment. Uh, it's in, in, in baseball because, again, you can have come off the greatest weekend you've had in years. Like, And I'm not saying it was for the Cardinals, but it was a great weekend. And then you go play one of the worst teams in the, in the whole league and you get your face crushed. That's baseball. I mean, it's just, you know, I, 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 a guy like Martin Perez, not only did Martin Perez own the Astros, he just completed the third best consecutive um, amount of starts at without losing a game in the history of baseball by a left-handed pitcher. Since, well, not the hit, since 1901, he just tied Steve Carlton for the, for the most consecutive starts without losing a game in the last 120 years. And he was facing a team that he absolutely owns. And he, and he got him nine up and nine down. And then he got his face crushed and gave up seven runs. It's just unbelievable how that stuff can happen. But anyway, it, it, it amazed me. But a glorious victory for the Astros. They've got Justin Verlander tonight for Ember Valdez tomorrow. We'll see what happens. By the way, tonight, um, Cortez is pitching for the Yankees. No, I say tonight. That's this afternoon. It's a day game against Robbie Ray, who owns the Astros, but he's not playing the Astros tonight. He's playing the Yankees. I mean, who the Astros own. He's not playing the Astros. He's playing the Yankees, so we'll see what happens in in, in that matchup. Just, uh, I, again, another incredible night of baseball, and we'll get a little bit more uh, on that later. But we will take a timeout for now and come back and shift gears, talk LSU football. With Koki Riley of the USA Today Network next on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station your home for the LSU Tigers in the Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been when they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues? You catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah. 
he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Before we get to our special guest, want to remind y'all Astro giveaway four on Saturday, August 27th. The Astros will be playing the Baltimore Orioles, who are one of the um, seven teams very much in the wild card race in the American League. Uh, and they will play. You could win four tickets. You could win a tour of Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations for that evening. As part of Astro Getaway 4. But first, you have to join the game clubhouse. And if you do, you could win that great prize brought to you by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All right. Koki, all I can tell you is the worst news, besides Chris Sale getting injured and his saga, just frustrating saga continuing, the worst news I have for you and your Red Sox is that they don't get to play the Astros anymore the rest of the season. Yeah, that's uh, that's some tough news. Instead, they have a lot of AL East games uh, remaining. We already know how um, we already know how that dance goes. So, uh, yeah, the Sox—they're what two, three games under five hundred, and I don't see it getting any much better from here on out for all the reasons we've just sort of covered, though. But um, yeah. All right, so it might be more fun to talk and preview LSU football. Today I want to get a little deeper into on the offensive side of the ball, and I'll start with this question. Do you believe that in the minds of the LSU coaches, uh, the head coach and, and the OC Denbrock, that camp started and was a legitimate three-horse race, or is that just something they're saying? I think when camp started, there was a legitimate three-horse race. Um, I, I really think that Garrett Nussmeyer has a chance. I really think that Miles Brennan has a chance, and I really think that Jay Daniels has a chance. And it's not just because I think all three of them have done more than their due diligence in getting that chance or that uh, none of the three of them have really stood out. I, I, I think there's been probably a little bit of combination of both. I think all three of them have – their flaws, and I think all three of them have their distinct strengths, and I think all three of them have very different playing styles, and I think part of this is also because they have a brand new coaching staff that's coming in, and, and they're still trying to relay the offense over, and um, and and again, it's early in camp, so it's hard to really figure out these things when the spring was mostly just an installation period, and, and they learn how to practice under Brian Kelly period, so um, I, I think this is really a three-horse race, and I'm really curious to see uh, who comes out on top because, I mean, I don't think anyone can give you a confident answer. I think you could have Brian Kelly on the show right now and he wouldn't give you a very confident answer. So it's it's a really it's one of the more fascinating quarterback battles in the country. Well, I, and if I was an LSU fan, I would be worried about that for, for several reasons. One of them is I've always been fascinated by this idea of in, in the NFL, you have training camp, and until this year, you played four preseason games. Now you're playing three, and then you play games that matter. And in, in college football, you don't have any preseason games. 
You have tra- you have camp. You have no preseason games, and then a lot of times, in some cases, you play. You know, years ago for Florida State, might you play your most important game of the year in the season opener? I mean, LSU plays Florida State. I'm not saying it's the most important game of the year, but it's not like playing some high school team like Alabama does a lot of times. So, I mean, it's 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 you know what I'm saying. It's it's yeah. h- how do you go about really deciding and getting prepared? At the, when you have three options and you have no preseason games to work with? I think you make a fantastic point. And how do you build, and just sort of build off that, like how do you build chemistry within an offense when you're, when you don't really know who the leader of your offense is going to be, which is, you know, that's pretty much always the quarterback, right? Who's the guy who's going to be not just leading the team through the hard times, but, the guy who sort of understands the strengths of every member of the offensive line, even, um, and, and that's a problem of its own too with the offensive line that we'll get into later when there's just so many guys playing so many different spots and no one really knows who's going to start. And how are they going to build chemistry with their receivers when they're splitting reps with the two other quarterbacks? I mean, there's so many other, so many of these sort of question marks. Like, how are you going to build continuity as an 11 man unit when there's 22 to 30 guys who are battling for starting spots? Uh, with only like three, three and a half weeks to go until the season starts. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions um, around this offense, even if the talent, talented pieces are there. And and complicating that even more is you have a new coaching staff and a new offense. Like, there is no continuity here. Like, yeah. if you were doing it with a returning coaching staff and you just had some transfers in, at least there would be some sort of baseline of confidence or knowledge of the system. But there's none of that. I this is I I don't I I think it's not a good thing that it's a three quarterback race at all and, and I, I'm sh- and I understand why it is but as an, if I was an LSU fan I'd be saying this is not a good situation there's a there's too many question marks already for this to be a three quarterback race I I think I sort of lean um, I don't actually know exactly where I lean but I I will say just to, just to play devil's advocate for you for just a little bit. Um, I think it's good that they have depth, like real depth, three guys who could play on or at least compete for, I'd say, a, a good chunk of, the, of playing time for most of the teams in the SEC. Um, guys who, at least in the future, could be SEC starting quarterbacks on this team. I, I, I like that they have depth. I like that, that they sort of have different options at that quarterback position. Um, that, I, that, I think, is a, is a consistently good, is a good thing. Um, and I think if you're going to have put a team together on the fly like this, right? How many better coaches do you want to have than Brian Kelly doing it? You know, this isn't Ed Orderon's coming in in year one and if they figure this out or less miles or, or someone with sort of more of that, you know, off the field dramatic history. You, you have a guy in Brian Kelly who knows how to run a program and knows exactly what he wants to see in his players and, you know, is in, in just sort of has that real, sense of organizational background and um and, and knows exactly what he wants so uh, I, I think that part re- really helps them in a situation like this all right um we could probably spend an entire hour talking about the quarterback situation but the offensive line was you know n- not a good situation last year and you could argue even the year before so mm. you know the um 
you're playing a lot. You're, you're going to be counting on a lot of young guys. And you, at first glance, it would seem like, other than quarterback maybe, like the toughest position to have a very young player, even a freshman or an inexperienced sophomore, to play is the offensive line. With that said, using you, and I know UL's, you know, not in the SEC, but in recent years, the Cajuns have started freshmen in Max Mitchell and in Osiris Torrance, and, and, and they picked up and, and played very representative at freshmen, so maybe it's a little more doable than, than a lot of us would think. Um, yeah, and I've also seen situations where you start a freshman and he's impressive, but he's still causing issues on, those line, on the line just because of his lack of experience and, you know, uh, young guy stuff that you just can't really um, – can't really master when you have that little experience. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think starting potentially starting a guy like Will Campbell at left tackle as a freshman, that's, that's some risky business. Uh, I, I mean, it seems like physically he has all the tools to do it. I mean, they've been pretty consistent. Uh, the coaching staff when talking about him, that he has the physical tools to do it. Kelly has even told me that he can do it, but it's a matter of not just the experience aspect, but, also, also as the season goes on, and when you're playing Arkansas in Week Ten, can you can you physically hold up after all the beatings of of Week Six, Seven, Eight, and Nine before that, right? Um, so there is like a there's not just a mental aspect and a lack of experience aspect to this, but there's also just sort of a wearing down and physical aspect of this as well. All right, so as a, just the two positions we're talking about, which one is a bigger question mark in your mind? Offensive line or quarterback? Yeah, to me, it's definitely the offensive line. Um, I think they have quarterbacks who I could easily see be be pretty um, come in there on day one and actually be at least pretty competent. Uh, Part of that's just because there's just more starting experience at that position. Look at a guy like Jane Daniels at three years of starting in the Pac-12. Look at a guy like Miles Friend who is really old, even if he doesn't actually have a ton of actual starting experience. Uh, but he's proven it a little bit either way. Uh, and even if they don't, even if neither of those guys start, Nussmeyer starts. Nussmeyer must have really shown something to beat those two guys, right? So I think there's depth, there's options, and there's some experience there. But with the offensive line, there's it, there's really ten to twelve guys like legitimately starting for five spots, and none of them have proven a lick that they're SEC level starters except for maybe cam wire um so it's it's a real issue because i yes you could argue that there's depth there yes you could argue that there's talent there because i think there is legitimate talent there but there isn't a single guy on that line where you're like oh you feel comfortable about him starting in the sec on day one um it it just it just doesn't there so i it, i think that's probably the biggest i would say that's probably the biggest hole on the team that offensive line the other thing that was a problem last year is with the exception of one or two games where where they went crazy running the ball um they didn't run the ball very well and and you know they had a LSU had a nice run of running backs there for a while and it hasn't really been the case in the last year or so so are you just what do you how would you look at the running back core overall I mean you know we've heard Emory's name for years but I mean still not a proven commodity there. So how do you how do you kind of assess the running back situation? You are right. They don't have a lot of proven commodities in that um, running back room. But I think a lot of last year's running 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 struggles was 
mostly scheme based and offensive line based. Um, I don't really, I don't totally think it was because they were missing Emery or um, or, or any of that, or Tyrion or Tier and Davis Price just wasn't wasn't producing well. He was fine. Um, I, it's, I, I sort of look at that situation as um, a lot more scheme based. They were just it, it, they just leaned too hard into the Joe Brady stuff without having the offensive line to really support it. Um, that's what I that's my opinion anyway. But anyway, uh, I, I think they're off. I think the running back core is a pretty high ceiling this season. Uh, I mean, Corey Kiner was a very talented freshman, and as was, as was Marna Goodwin, but they didn't have their former five-star recruit in John Emory Jr. the whole season. He's back. Now you have Noah Kane, who was a very highly regarded player um, coming out of high school and um, definitely showed plenty of flashes at Penn State. If those two guys are are not just healthy but also playing well, then you have a real two-headed monster running back. Granted, there's a bit of a question mark, but there's also a little bit of depth behind him. You look at a guy like Armani, who's, who's back this season. Um, as a sophomore, so uh, they've lost a little bit of depth of that at that spot over the last few months. Um, Corey Kiner leaving for Cincinnati, Trey Bradford no longer being on the roster, um, but but I think overall they're okay at running back. Would it's you rank them? A, would you, would you rank them ahead of the quarterback crew or right behind the quarterback? Crew? Um, I'd say it would be roughly even, and maybe maybe like a tad behind. But I think it's relative. I think the ceiling with the running back core is higher than at quarterback. But the floor, the floor is definitely lower, just because there isn't there isn't anyone who there there isn't a um, or even there there isn't anyone who could be real. You're 100 percent sure it could be really, really, really good on day one, just because of some of the injury history and um, John Emery's lack of uh, consistency throughout his LSU career. I think we would have. I'm assuming we would both agree that the the best unit of all of this on offense is the wide receiver unit. But again, that's largely dependent on is the line going to block and is the quarterback situation. You know, are you minimizing how good your wide receiver could be because they don't even know who their quarterback is? Um, yeah, I, I, that that could very well be the case. Um, I, I, I but. At the same time, I, I think when you have playmakers as good as Malik Neighbors and as good as Keishon Boutte, and you'll you'll find ways to get these guys the ball, even if the line isn't perfect. You know, um, maybe they'll play more tight ends and they'll come into block, you know, six man fronts, or uh, maybe you'll run more screens, or you'll try to get creative and sort of get these guys the ball. Um, but your point is definitely very well taken, though, because it is hard to build chemistry with these receivers when. Most when these quarterbacks, when you don't really know who the starting quarterback's going to be, and you sort of have to rely on trying to build chemistry with that sort of guy, especially when Kayshawn wasn't playing in the spring and uh, Miles Brennan hasn't thrown to a lot of these guys, and this is obviously Jaden's first season, and Garrett was the backup last year. So I mean, there's you're right that there's not a lot of um, I guess continuity and chemistry built up between the quarterbacks and the receivers, uh, but at the same time, there's so much talent in that receiving core. I mean, well, they, yeah, they no, legitimately no, no, have no, no, no question guys, here. And most of very it, good. right, and most of it comes right here from the Acadiana area. Try to decide an all an all metro and all Acadiana wide receiving core with two spots three or four years ago. I remember those discussions. But anyway, one one, one last question before we let you go. Do you think like they've got to decide? They've got to 
in film review of their second inter-squad scrimmage, like they got to decide by then who does, who the guy's going to be, right? Or, or or am I being naive here? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to let this run for as long as they can. Uh, they're trying. Cause my guess is that they're going to give every single one of these three guys the, the opportunity to prove themselves, and they're going to want to take their time. Um, before they get into this Florida State game. Um, of course, there's going to be a switch that's flipped, as Mike Denbrock told us the other day, uh, where, you know, they're going to have to start preparing more for Florida State and less of, you know, just trying to um, uh, figure out their own team. But I, I legitimately think that um, they're going to take their time with this quarterback situation. All right. It's uh, I don't know if we know any more than when we started the conversation, but I think, you know, we've detailed how complicated this LSU season and prognosticating and analyzing how this season could go. I think pretty well. I appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on again, Kevin. Take care. Koki Riley, the USA Today Network. No, it's just like we said all year long. I mean, nothing's new here. It's it's just a huge question mark. I mean, it's just a huge, you know, I don't know how anybody has any idea. And, you know, a lot of people are making a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. That LSU is not in the preseason top 25 for the first time in, like, 21 years or something since, like, Mike Ditko was the coach of the Saints or the first year but uh, of him not being the coach. Um, but I don't think that means anything because, you know, the old cliche, it's how you finish. But I just think it's easy to understand why because there's just no way to get a grasp on what is this team going to be and what are they going to like. And it's just one giant question mark. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, and shift gears a little bit, talk some other kind of football on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 10th, 1975, Jack Nicklaus wins his fourth OGA championship at Firestone Country Club. The Golden Bear defeats Australian Bruce Crampton by two strokes. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Before we go back to the game hotline, I got news that the Saints have signed a camp arm quarterback, KJ Costello. Uh, played a little bit at Stanford, played at Mississippi State. He was a USFL quarterback. He's a big guy, one of these 6'5, 220 guys that. You know, I don't think it means anything other than they probably need, just need another camp arm for a couple of days or a week while Jameis is making sure that he's not healthy. And so we'll see how that plays out. You know, they've signed quite a few linebackers and they signed a cornerback. And, you know, I think all of these or most of these are, are camp bodies, but still you need them to get through games and get through camp. And, um, you know, the bad news is DeMarco Jackson, Appalachian State – linebacker who we were talking about you know it seemed like it was last week uh got injured and we we might have mentioned this yesterday but maybe just in passing and he was put on injury reserve yesterday so you you need some of these linebackers like 
Chase Hansen being re-signed, you know, it's because of injury situations to fill spots, which you hate that it happens, but it's kind of part of the deal. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Good morning, sir. This is Jared. Yes, sir. <clears throat> I, uh, that was a great segment there with um, about LSU football, and it brought up some questions, and it brought up a comment that I'd like to make about how I haven't really heard a lot of people really talk about the decision-making process as to who the quarterback's going to be. And not only the process of the decision, but the repercussions of making that decision. Um, what I'm what I'm getting at is you have, you have Jaden Daniels, who's a fifth-year transfer, from Arizona, you have Miles Brennan, who's a sixth-year senior, who's waited forever and ever and ever and fought through injuries. You have Nussmeyer, who's kind of in the middle there, and you have Walker Howard, who's a freshman. Um, with the landscape of college football and the ability to transfer and not have to to wait, I guess you can see where I'm going. If this is if this is um, Jaden Daniels' position after Game Two, Miles Brennan and possibly Nussmeyer are, are gone. Well, Miles Brennan is going to be going anyway. But but my question, as I was talking, and I didn't get to it because we kind of ran out of time with Koki is. Is Miles Brennan really going to come back and sit and watch all season long? Is that really going to happen when it looked like his career? I mean, is that really going to happen? Well, and that's what I—that's what I'm saying. Miles Brennan's not going to sit on the bench for the, his last year of eligibility to play college football and watch. And neither is Jaden Daniels. So if this job belongs to Nussmeyer, if that's the call after game two, if it's still Nussmeyer. You possibly lose Jaden Daniels and Miles Brennan, and they're playing somewhere else in week three, and you're lock, you're left in your locker room with Nussmeyer and Howard. Well, like, I, I just you know it, it's just it's it's all craziness. But I, I mean, but, just based you know, on on what they've done in the past, and again, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're going to do. It just seems like Jaden Daniels fits what they like in their quarterbacks more than the other two fit. And, but we'll uh, I see. understand that, you know, and if it's if it's Daniels or or Miles Brennan, whoever it's not, you that guy that that guy's going to transfer. They want to play, and possibly Nussmeyer. If it's Nussmeyer, you lose Daniels and Miles Brennan. That I, is I, a real fear. That's a real possibility. I mean, it's certainly possible, and but I, I I wouldn't see, I wouldn't see that happening with Brennan, but. But Nussmar, I mean, he could enter the portal if he gets frustrated. Yeah, I could see that happen. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if if this if this job goes to Nussmar, you you think that Miles Brennan is going to sit out his sixth year as a senior with the talent he has, and Jaden Daniels just transferred to to be a starter. You think the, that fifth year and that sixth year senior are going to sit down the entire well, season? What is he going to do Nussmeyer when you're that old? What are you going to do? I, I, you transfer somewhere. Well, yeah. Transfer somewhere where you can get in the, the middle of the season, and, and somebody's just going to install you in as a starting quarterback in the middle of the. I don't see that happen. I mean, I, I think I don't know, Kevin. I think it's better than having no film. Well, Jaden Daniels got some film to get into the NFL, but Miles Brandon has no film. He has nothing to, to show. 
Those two cats ain't playing in the NFL. What's that? Those two guys are not NFL players. Uh, well, you may be right. You may be right. That's just that's just something that keeps coming to my mind. What's going to no, happen? No, no, it, it's a messed closing. up situation. No, 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 no question yeah, there. It's a tough decision with repercussions. Yep. Absolutely. Right. I appreciate yeah, the call, sir. Call, thank right. you. No, it's You're a welcome. it's a thank you. It's a convoluted. And again, that's we we. So we were talking with with Koki about it. Again, I was thinking, man, is Mom Brennan really going to do this and come back and sit here and watch and be passed over again? I don't know the guy, but it's like, man, he, you know, if that happens, he's got to be, he's got to have multiple moments on the sideline where he's thinking, what in the world is happening again? You got to be kidding me. I know why you're in the, in the moment of competing. I don't know that you think that, but if you, if he actually ends up being just riding the bench, you know, he's got to be thinking, what in the world is going on? It's just, no, it's. It's a tough deal. No, no, no question. I, I don't. It's it's a complicated situation, and one thing that we have to keep in mind is a lot of times in these situations, it seemed like the old cliche things just kind of work itself out. Whether it's injuries or poor play or. You know, a lot of times it's injuries. It kind of sometimes it just kind of works itself out, but there are times when it's just flat out complicated as well, and it just the complication never really ends. So, no, it again, it's gonna it's gonna be. I don't know if exciting's the word, but it's gonna be very interesting and intriguing to watch how LSU season unfolds, and we're just kind of focusing on the quarterback, but it's not. Just a quarterback situation. When anytime you have a new coach, and again, it's just the entire season is just just big giant question marks. So uh, each game will be um, very interesting case studies for sure. All right, let's take a timeout. Come back, finish out the first hour of footnotes on this glorious Wednesday morning. Coming off maybe the best Astro win of the year, so I'm a little excited about that. And we'll come back and finish out the first hour next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot. want to remind you the Orneville Volunteer Fire Department is hosting a Black Pot Cookoff on Saturday, September the 10th. Cookoff begins at 8 a.m. Eating, my favorite part of the cooking process, will start at noon at the Flower auditorium in Orneville. There will be plenty of live music, including our old friend Gerald Grunig and Gentile Zydeco, Dustin Saunier, and Sweet Cecilia. For more information, visit ornevillefire.org. All right. Again, Astros will be playing tonight. Game two, Justin Verlander pitching against the Texas Rangers. First pitch set for 7-10 on the game. We, um, a lot of obviously a lot of quarterback talk in this hour having to do with LSU and you know we've had earlier in the week some quarterback talk involving the Cajuns. I just personally, unless it really isn't, which was my first question to Koki, if it really isn't a three horse race, then it's not a big deal that they're advertising it as that. But if they, I, I. I really, 
I think I'd rather have a two-horse race than a three-horse race, especially the would you know it complicate the good thing about the three-horse race in LSU is they're kind of three different quarterbacks, and so. You know, you can obviously make a pretty distinct choice. I want that kind of quarterback, that kind of quarterback, or that kind of quarterback. Uh, now, obviously, their execution and how they play and how they lead plays into all that. You might have, you might end up with the second choice for the kind of quarterback you want because so and so is a better leader, or he just outperforms the others in scrimmages and practices. I guess that's theoretically possible. In the Cajuns' case, you have two, you have one fewer quarterback, which I like better. But they're roughly the same kind of quarterback. In other words, one of them's not a total runner. Um, one of them's not, you know, significantly better as a passer, and one of them's not significantly better as a runner. So it's roughly the same kind of quarterback. I think the only difference with the Cajuns is one's a gunslinger and one's more of a textbook type quarterback. So we'll see which way the Cajuns coaches go. But no, it's all complicated. They're not, you know. Again, I'm not a QW, but I also recognize how important the position is to have stability within your offense and the leadership uh, within your whole football team. So big decisions to be made and no preseason games to work it out. Uh, You know, maybe that's something we'll get to. You know, college football is turning into professional sports more and more every day. Maybe one day we'll get preseason games for college football coaches. They do every, they're doing all this other stuff that pros do. Might as well do that. It would actually help them a little bit. We will, uh, that'll do it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. We'll be back on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome back to Footnote. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. And just to clear up something from the discussion we had in the last hour, I think it would not surprise me if we get to the point where one day there's a player who gets mad at a coach and he had previous tampering conversations with the other coach, and he plays the first half with one team, and then he gets mad at the coach, and then he goes to play the second half with the other team. That cannot happen yet. Now, you can enter the transfer portal, but you can't play until the next season just yet. I mean, again, I things have changed so much in the college in college athletics over the last three or four years. And it continues to change even more. Who knows what it's going to get to? You know, Jim last week, Jim Gazzolo had some very, throughout some very interesting concepts for the future in this ever-changing world of college athletics. Like, and some of them are kind of interesting. Like, if you're going to transfer, then you should get compensated. I don't know that it's going to happen. But I, when I heard it, I'm like, what? And then I was like, what? You know, like you got a quarterback who's, uh, you know, at a mid-major level, and uh, he he ends up being pretty good, 
You know, the Power Five team didn't really know about him. Oh, I don't know if this guy's any good. He's a two-star because we're not recruiting him. And so the the mid-major recruits him, and it turns out that the Power Five was wrong and the mid-major was right. He is a good player. Well, y'all did all the work. Y'all had faith in him, but we're a Power Five, so we're going to take him. And Jim's, and Jim's thought was, well, then compensate the, <laughs> the, the mid-major who did all the work and believed in him, and you just taking all the credit. Um you know, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But it's an interesting thought. Uh, and, again, who knows? The way things are going in college athletics, we might have a scenario one sometime in the future where a team play, where a player plays for one team in the first half and another team in the second half. But that can't happen just yet anyway. Um, but, no, it's a met some complicated situations. And it's got to be tougher to coach like – how do you coach when if you you want to have discipline, but if you have too much, I guess at some point a lot of guys just, you know what, I can't worry about it. If they don't want to be here, then you just move on. I guess you got to have to have that mentality. If they get mad because we have discipline or we make this decision or this personnel decision, you just, I guess you can only worry so much about pacifying players and you have to just kind of do what you think is right. But that's that's easier said than done when you put all this money. And, and, and a lot of them now, a lot of these, some of these players that you have to pacify, they're making money. Like ser- some of them are making serious money. I really don't know why anyone's a college coach if they have an option to be an NFL coach. I was having this discussion someone the other day. It, it, you know, look, some people just don't have the option. I get it. I mean, you you do what you do and you make, you know, it's not like they're not making any money. Some of them are making really, really good money. But if I if I had an option to be an NFL coach or a college coach, I don't know anybody's a college coach over an NFL. You didn't have to worry about all that stuff. It's just so much more structure, the NFL level. But obviously there are a whole lot more college coaches out there than, than NFL coaches. On the football level. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, foot. Good morning, sir. Nah, yesterday I was listening to footnotes and uh, I couldn't help but hear that uh, back when you were a little uh, footsie, um, you used to be a Cowboys fan before you were a Saints fan? No, I was always a Saints fan. Never pulled for the Cowboys over the Saints, but I hated the Minnesota Vikings as a youngster. Uh-huh. And when in 1975, uh-huh. when the Cowboys did the Hail Mary play and they broke Fran Tarkenton's heart, you know, I kind of started pulling for him. Plus, Cowboys and Saints fans have one very big thing in common. Both hate the cheaters immensely. And so, right. um, you know, once the cheaters got good in the 80s and they were going up against the Cowboys and then into the 90s, and I'll never forgive uh, Dion for for giving Steve Young a Super Bowl because that's the only reason Steve Young won one was because Dion went from Dallas to to cheater to Cheetle Stick and um, no I, so I kind of liked the Cowboys and pulled for them in most games and then once they got once they got Stalin to be their coach I said I'm done with them I'll, I'll you know that that that's well, that's I a think, scumbag think, move so I'll really, never support them again I think you really are I think you really are a Cowboys no, fan at heart so. No. Uh, not, when, no. when when Sean Payton comes back home after next season, 
you can come back to the fan club. We'll always take you with open arms. That's not going to Because like I said, Sean Payton's coming home. Home is where the heart is, he, and his heart's in his Dallas. Heart, his home so, is in Illinois, and he, believe me, he likes the Saints more than the Cowboys. But he's a quitter. Way, so if you, you get back on the Cowboys bandwagon, you can uh, – you can have Sean Payton as your coach again, and you have to call him Cash better quit, even though he didn't quit. He retired. Oh, no, no, he didn't quit. He, re- he he did not retire. He quit. You can't so, uh, retire. You can't retire and say, well, I'm coming back in, in less than a, in a year. That's not retiring. That's quitting. Retiring so is, Tom oh, Brady I'm going to find out. on the Buccaneers. Tom Brady quit on the Patriots. He didn't quit on the Buccaneers. Well, he retired for two months and then came back. Oh, no, you know. That that was nothing. That was just silliness. Just pure but, uh, silliness. But, yeah, after next season, we'll welcome you back on the Cowboys bandwagon when Sean Payton becomes our head coach. Well, that's not so, going to uh, happen. But that's but all they, I, oh, All right. Oh, yeah. All right. All, take care. All right. All right. I was going for it. You know, what happened, take care. What happened with Tom Brady is he said, uh-oh, my pleasure cruise is over. I better go find some place where I can have it easy. He didn't want to earn it. You know, he didn't want to earn it. He wanted to go. He didn't want to have where he he had an uphill climb. He wanted a, to continue his pleasure cruise career. So let me go find a place where they have a lot of good receivers and a really good defense. And uh, you know that you know, yeah, he quit on the Patriots, but oh well. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Pretty good, sir. How are you? Good, good, man. Uh, I wanted to go back to the LSU thing real quick, and and I don't know if uh, y'all talked about it at all, but, I mean, I heard you say a three-horse race, but I'm almost starting to feel like this is a two-horse race because Daniels will be the starter, and then it's going to be between us and uh, Miles for, you know, I think they're going to go with a two-quarterback system. That's my That's my opinion, but... Just because it's going to be an unorthodox uh, season anyway, and he's going to go with his hot hand. I could just kind of feel this in my gut, but I was wondering if anybody talked about it or how you feel well, about it. Well, no, that's an it's an interesting point. I mean, you really think he would go with a true two quarterback system? I just, I don't know. I just don't know either how it that or either that or Daniels becomes the Saints' version of Batman. He's that athletic? Man, he he's got wheels, Kevin. Well, I know he can run. I, I'm know, not, I, I know mean, he's a the, runner, the, but the guy the guy can, you know, I could see some some trickery. Uh, you know, potentially, but man, I, I I don't know. And maybe it's wishful thinking on my part because you know, before Daniels came into the picture, I was really, as an LSU fan, happy to see Miles stay. And then, you know, the last comment that you made before the break was, how sad is it going to be if this guy's on the sideline? And like the caller before had said, you know, this guy decides to stay at LSU. He could have gone to Southeastern and been a starting quarterback this year and get highlights. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, the kid from Turlings uh, that played there from uh, transferred from Arkansas, I mean, has, at least has a look in the NFL right now. Right. Miles Brandon's not going to have anything on on tape other than what from his sophomore year. 
No, I agree. But I want to get back so, to your other point. Kind of a sad situation, but, you know, I've, I've been to – couple of the sidelines uh watching some of the lsu practices uh and i mean i think miles looks good i mean his mid to deep ball uh is more accurate than than any of them oh i believe that so yes. it, it, you know it it just comes down to you know i mean wh- who's gonna who's gonna have that presence and i know nussmeyer you know i would think that last at the end of last season in the playoff game when he didn't play that way he didn't lose his eligibility i i, I gotta think that that came from coach right you know I, maybe it's a good idea to not lose it for one game and come back and be our starter next year but i don't know i i think there's a I think a dual presence may be what we see. Uh, and I hate it because it goes back to that, what, mid-'80s uh, Alabama offense crud that uh, just drove me mad. But uh, I could I could see it. Anyway, that's all I had. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Thank Take you care. for the call. You know, I, I'm thinking while Jeff's talking. I'm not a two-quarterback guy. I don't think most people are two-quarterback guys. But – in fact, I had this discussion with Coach Dez in the Cajun situation uh, at Sunbelt Conference Media Day. In that, and he said he would never do a two-quarterback system. Doesn't work, doesn't believe in it. But if you remember what the Cajuns did in Coach Napier's first season, where it was pre-planned, One, Andre Nunez played for three series and then Levi came in and played a series. Had nothing to do with how the team did or if the if he did well or not well. It was pre-planned. It was scripted. And I could see, Jeff, I was just kind of brainstorming. Look, there's no question. We just talked about it. That LSU's most talented group is this wide receiving group. Who has the best chance of 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 maximizing the skill level of this talented wide receiving group. I think it's Miles Brennan because he's the best pure passer. So I could see, to Jeff's point, if you if LSU did went the route of, okay, Miles Brennan's our starting quarterback, but every third or fourth series, or however they pre-script it, we're going to put Jaden Daniels in just to kind of mess with defenses and give him some playing time. So we'll have two quarterbacks ready if one gets hurt. That would make some sense. I could see that, but I think you got to maximize your 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 um, your wide receiving group, and I think Brennan does that because he's the best pure passer of the three. But if you played both, then you could you could use the skills of both, and if you if you do it as a prescripted thing, then I don't think it weighs on the psyche of the of like the starter. As much because he just already knows I'm going to play this X amount of series and this guy's going to come in and then I'm going to be back in no matter what happens. I think that could work, but um, we'll see how that how how it how it plays out. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello, morning, Foot. How's it going? Well, uh, great victory last night. Uh, I'm still very worried about the Astros' ability to consistently score. Uh, and I had to watch uh, Jake Myers play last night, which is never fun, but a great, great victory. Maybe maybe the best victory of the season. Yeah, for y'all probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
I saw that old 2 VA guy again. Boy, he hit that sucker right there by that foul line, man. He still got it in there. God, I can't stand that dude. It's, that guy gets he's having a really I mean, he's ha- he drives me crazy sometimes, but he's having a really good he, season. Yeah, he's really good. I gotta give it to him. He's just playing for the wrong team. <laughs> I tell you what, that it's never good for me to call in on a loss, especially when you lose by one point. I'm a guy, man. Just blow me out. Let me know I didn't have a chance. You know. Oh, you had a lot of chances. That. So say I didn't see. A, I saw some of the highlights. Had some really bad base running in extra innings. Didn't yeah, score a run in extra innings. That's that's not good. Defensive game. Defensive game by both teams. I mean, can't really get no hits. I mean, everything was on point. It was really a good game. I fell asleep on it because it was too long and it was late at night, early in the morning. Yeah. But anyway, it was it was awesome. I, I give it to them. I mean, we just don't have all our guys there that would give us those hits, you know. So, I mean, they got a lucky break. I can't stand that team no more. Oh, I'll tell you that much. And Miss Hannah Law, she just enjoys. She just bashing in the glory. Man, if they if they win if they win today with the reigning Cy Young pitching in the American League, Robbie Ray, then they win the season series on the Yankees. You won't better say. You won't better tell Hannah anything. Oh no, you can't tell her nothing right now. You can't tell her to go on vacation either. But look, I don't even want to talk about this misery today. I just want to add this. On this conversation with Martin, you sat up here and say about what Saints fans have in common with the Cowgirl fans, hating the Cheetahs. Yes. Nah, it's the other way around, Foot. What we have in common with the 49ers is we hate the Cowgirls. Oh, no. I that, never no. pulled for those Cowgirls in that um, time. I never did. When they had Dion, 49ers had Dion. If you're a Saints fan, if you're a Saints fan and you hate the Cowboys more than the Cheetahs, you're missing the boat. No, I'm not missing the boat. You no, you're missing the boat. This is history. It's no, no. a lot with oh, this. No, no, no. It's, it's that's history. That's what I keep trying to educate you on. I would never pull for those cowgirls. I'll pull for Deion Sanders. I divorced Deion when, and T.O. when they put that star on the helmet. That's one thing. I would never pull for them cowgirls. So if, if Deion, them, if Deion wouldn't have went to Cheeto Stick, then Steve Young would have never won a Super Bowl. I agree with that. And the cowgirls wouldn't have won when he went. You know, no, no they don't want another one that year. Football. They don't want another one that year. No, they yeah, wouldn't. Oh, no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't yeah, they, yeah, they would have. Yeah, they would have. I'm just letting you know, Foot. All I want to let you know, that's what we have in common with them. You got your 100% hate for the you, mom you, cheaters. I have my 100% you, hate for the cowgirls. I will never pull for that ugly star. It will right. never happen. Take have care. Have a good one, Foot. Go Yankees. All right. I understand because of the fans, and there's a lot more Cowboy fans and Cheater fans, and fans get into it. I get all that bickering back and forth. But no Saints fan should ever hate the Cowboys more than the Cheaters. The Cheaters, oh, you just, you just, it, it, the pain, the, 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 the lingering misery of just getting cheated is just, will never leave me, will never leave me. All right, we'll take a timeout and come back. Again, open phone lines the rest of this second hour on the game. You know, very interesting quarterback discussions and decisions that have to be made, and we'll see it play out over the next month or so. We'll be back on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. The game hotline, 706-0111, Want to remind you about Astro Getaway 4. Astros will be playing the Orioles Saturday, August 27th. You could be there if you register for the game clubhouse. You might you'll be eligible to win four tickets to the game tour Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations. Astro Weekend Getaways powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The Orioles are one of there are seven teams. There's the Astros and the Yankees who are now tied for first, well, for first place in the American League, whatever that you know means for home field uh, throughout the AL playoffs. And then below them are seven teams within four games of one another. On what is this? August the ninth. And so now understand that two of those teams are fighting for the American. Well, three of them will um fighting for the uh, AL Central title. So one of them's going to win a division. So that means there are six teams fighting for three spots and they're all within four games of one another right now. Very interesting. On the National League side, it's very different. You have five teams outside of the two, top two teams, which is the Punks and by the way, you got to give credit where credit's due, even if it sickens me. The punks have been very impressive lately. And speaking of that area, the little MVPs have been winning some games. You know, I, I like to make fun of the little MVPs, and I have kind of been thinking they might finish with the worst record in the American League, and I still think it's possible. But they've won some games over the weekend. They beat Seattle twice. They beat the A's again last night. And they have now have a seven-game lead on the A's. The A's were hot there for about three or four weeks, but maybe their 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 hot run is over. So it's possible that the little MVPs who have been pitching very well lately, I don't know where that's coming from, but they've been pitching very well, could, could stave. They might be able to stave off them red-hot Oakland A's who the Astros can't beat. Um and who the Astros play over the weekend. So the Astros could actually help the little MVPs in their quest to not finish with the worst record in the American League. Uh, and so you got to give got to give the punks credit, got to give the little MVPs some credit of how, how they've been playing of late. But in the, in the National League, essentially, unless the Giants get hot, and it's possible, Giants are six and a half out on the wild cards. Still August, plenty of time to, to make up that ground. But unless they get hot... You have four teams fighting for three spots. Not a lot of room for error. Not a lot of room for error in, in the National League playoff race as of right now. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. That was um, a very strange game last night. You know, you were talking about it yesterday. Uh, I listened to you on the on demand on the way home last night, and you were talking about how something I got to give, right? Because yeah. you got Perez who owns them. He plays great at he pitches great at uh, in uh, Houston, and then you got Akiti who who just gets all these runs, and who and owns the Rangers. The, yeah, and they both the got time, lit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first time, the first what he had twenty three pitches, I think, through three oh, three innings. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it was it was great. 
I say great, but it was a great. Well, I mean, he made it look and, easy. Uh, yeah, it was like this and is then, easy. You know, yeah, it gets all, and then you know, get your hopes up, and then and then um, Alvarez grounds into a double play, and you're like, oh come on, man! But you know, you got to give you got to give Bregman some some props for that at bat. He didn't just walk, Kevin. He fouled off some nasty pitches. That's that's a good for, point. Yes. for quite a while, and. When he got the walk, I don't know. I guess he didn't want no part of Tucker because Tucker had hit that ball earlier hard against him, and he just walked him on four pitches. But uh, Diaz was sitting change up, man. And did he hit that thing, man? Crushed it. It went, I mean, just out of the park, dude. I mean, it, it, it was awesome. And then, you know, next next uh, next inning up, I mean, that wasn't even – that wasn't a bad pitch that uh, that uh, if Keedy threw – that guy just turned on it and, yep. and it and it and it went out and you're thinking, okay, well he's gonna lose. No, nope, we come right back in the bottom and, and score two more. Incredible. And it was just it was just a might have been the best win of the year. I know, like, you, you know, know it's crazy. Football game. Yeah. But uh, and also uh, the battle with uh, with Presley and uh, Seager. Man, Seager's a tough Oh guy. man, I hate I mean, facing that really guy. Is. Man, is he good? But oh man, is he good? And that was but a great. You, that, that was not that a good was a, pitch. That, that was, was a great pitch. Yeah. That was beautiful. That I was mean, a great pitch. Painted the corner yes. with it. Yes, it was. It was a great at bat. And it, it took a great, a great pitch to get that cat out. Man, I hate facing. It him. did. I mean, he just kept fouling off. Oh, good pitch. So good. But Presley never gave in. Presley never gave in. But listen, I, I was just calling. I got a question for you. I'm gonna hang up and listen. You know, we talk about, you know, I look at all these players, these good players come from uh, the D- Dominican Republic and Cuba and all of that. How does that work? Like, okay, so we got Guriel. Why didn't we get his little brother? You, you follow what I'm saying? Like, how does that work? Like, it's just a, a bid. Well, it's like a free, yeah, yeah. It's like a bid, yeah. It's like a, um, it's just like getting the Japanese players. I mean, you, re- you, you, you sign them as undrafted free agents. Now, I think more of them are actually, if they depending on how I don't know how early they notice or whatever they could get drafted. But but basically, it's just like signing, you know, Otani. It's a bidding process as a free agent, undrafted free agent, like. So it's it's basically the teams that that get in the know, get to know people, and everything that have the advantage over other teams. You have these scouts. Like they get out there and do the leg work, yeah, and do the scouting right, and all of that, right? Because. Uh, yeah, I just I just it can be how hard to evaluate. They got a lot yeah. of good young players, man. A Absolutely. lot of good young players from the Dominican Republic and Cuba, and I mean, man, they they must they must play a lot of baseball down there when they're young, dude, because they got some good ones. No, they, they that, absolutely do. that that cat uh, Batista from the Orioles. Have you have you seen this cat pitch? Uh not He's much. Filthy. He's filthy, cat. Filthy throws a hundred. And he's got a, a split finger that around 89, 90 that just falls off the face of the earth. And then he's got a slider to go with that. So, but he, I think he's a rookie too, man. Six five. I mean, he's filthy. I don't know what to Watch think of this Orioles series. Watch out for the Orioles. You know, last year the the the, the Astros had an, a, a crazy season series against the Orioles. They went to Baltimore and made the Orioles look like a triple-A team, just beat and battered them for three straight games. And then they and come to the Houston a week crushed. later, and, 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 that, and that same triple-A team just swept the Astros, and none of the games were competitive. They just crushed them. Yes. yes. They just crushed them. Again, that stuff just doesn't happen in other sports. It just, it I, heard, just I heard you and that, that guy talking yesterday. It seems like that we always have a little doldrum in August, Kevin. Oh, what happens? In the, 
it, it just it's almost like routine with the Astros. But you know, if you watch you watch Uli, he's going the other way a lot. So I'm hoping you know he's gonna get it. And look, that that out Alvarez had last night, that was a loud out, bro. He he didn't miss it by much. That oppo that he yes. tried to hit in the crosses by. Right. So it'll come, dude. It'll come. I hope, and if I they hope. keep pitching like they're pitching, we'll be all right. I hope you're right. Got to score some more uh, runs consistently. But it, it, again, last night was a great one. Great victory. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Russ this week, man. All right. Take care. All right, man. <laughs> I can tell Bye-bye. you this. Russ ain't looking forward to it. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> School starts tomorrow. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I don't know. Crazy, crazy, crazy world. But, um, no, it's it, August. The uh, Ryan's point about August. Um, I can still remember when the Astros won the World Series. They they had a they they had a stretch in August where they were off. I remember going to to the White Sox and just got looked terrible. Just got hammered. And I remember saying at the time the Astros are playing at the lowest level in all of baseball right. I don't. I mean, it, they for about two or three weeks they were just miserable, and they're pitching pretty too consistent right now to be playing at that low of a level. But uh, they came out of it, got hot late, and won the World Series. So again, all of that can happen. Um, the Astros right now, after last night's win, tied that team in what the two thousand team or uh, I mean the the um, 2020 team or the 2019, one of the other ones, the year that they won 100. No, it wouldn't have been 2020. That was the COVID year, 2019 team, when they won all them games. Um, for uh, the best record through this many games in the history of the franchise, tied for the best record. When they struggle to score runs so much, it can be hard to to feel that way sometimes of late. But uh, but still got the best, tied for the best record through this many games in the history of the franchise. So. Even though it's hard that they are in the middle of the pack and run scored when they sh- seem like they should be better than that, uh, they're still winning a lot of games, and so that part is good. Will Smith pitched again last night. Uh, he had a balk, which is kind of. But again, the rate, the base runner he gave up. Bregman's got to make that play, like. And, and, and I'm glad Ryan pointed out, like, Bregman really did have a great at-bat right there, a great at-bat. He deserves a lot of credit. Those great at-bats in those big innings get overlooked way too often. So uh, I'm glad he pointed that out. But, like, I consider Bregman, in my mind, should be an elite defensive third baseman. and Too many balls get through him. He's got to knock that ball down and make that play. Um. And he just better in the postseason. That's all I'm saying. When they get to the postseason, when they hit a ball, it better not go through him like that one did last night. But he did have a great – well, we call them at-bats. When you walk, it's not really an at-bat. It's a plate appearance. You gotta Technically, you got to make that distinction. But it was a great plate appearance. I agree with, with Ryan on that one. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back and continue to relish. We'll get back to some – actually – we might actually do something very different because I've been putting this off. I meant to talk about this in the first hour, and we just a little too busy in the first hour to do so. We might discuss an NBA issue 
that I've been putting off and putting off might need to make some comments on that. We'll do that on the other side of this timeout. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. How much does foot despise the San Francisco 49ers? Well, you be the judge. I love turning 50 because I was no longer a 49. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Still time if you would like to weigh in on any of the subjects that we've been discussing, especially the quarterback. Very tricky quarterback situations, both for LSU and the the Cajuns. And if you didn't hear earlier, obviously, uh, Jameis got hurt earlier. It doesn't sound – they're saying it's just a mild sprain, so it doesn't sound serious. But he's not going to play in Saturday's preseason game. Probably shouldn't be playing in a preseason opener anyway. But uh, the, the Saints did add another quarterback in, in K.J. Costello. Um, played at Mississippi State, played at Stunford. Before that, he was in the USFL this past spring. And so, uh, you know, again, it's just it's just a camp arm situation. But, you know, just since we're discussing quarterbacks, uh, that, that, that kind of is the case. Also want to remind you, if you have not joined the game clubhouse, do so today. It's free. It's simple. So we suggest you sign up today where you can win such prizes as a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lesser's Steakhouse, a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar Grill, or a $25 gift certificate for Mabel's Kitchen. Also, if you remember, you can't win Astro tickets without joining either. So a lot of great prizes. You're not giving yourself a chance to win if you don't sign up. So do so today by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. I said I wanted to discuss it, NBA. You know, there's some people that have been discussing Kevin Garnett all year long. I just, I'm like, I'm going to pass on that. But here's what one of the things that I don't get about this new way of doing things in the NBA where these superstars who like Kevin Durant or like LeBron or whichever, James Harden, you know, did some of this foolishness where they bully their way out of a place to go to another place. Why do these other teams think that, if they don't, if it doesn't work out exactly to their liking, then they're not going to bully their way out of your place. Is it really worth the risk? Like right now, how look? Kevin Durant is talented, no question about it. But how many people? Why, if you were a team like again, they're talking about the Celtics. Like the Celtics were in the NBA Finals last year. Why would you dismantle your team for this? I don't know what he is. Talented guy, but he he's, he's sensitive and he and he's temperamental and he's just and you know he was all in with the Nets and now he hates them and he's coming out and he wants to fire. Like there's no way that Kevin Durant really believes that he's going to publicly give an ultimatum to the owner and the owner's just going to back down and do and and do what he wants. That that's just not going to happen. And so. If you're the Celtics, especially, 
somebody who's got things going, and you've got a good core of players, why would you dismantle your team for this guy who might come in for a year or two and then want to try to bully his way out again? Like, how do they not think it's going to happen to you? Why would you want to be part of that process? Now, if you, I guess if you totally stink, but a guy like Kevin Durant, who wants things the easy way, is, is, is not going to go to a team that stinks. So I guess if you stink and Kevin Durant wants to come and he'll sell tickets and maybe make you good, I could see that. You'd be willing to. But if you're a good team, which is the only, you know, whether it's Tom Brady or Kevin Durant, they want the easy way out. And so athletes that are bullying their way to one team to another, they don't want they want the easy way. They're not going to go to a bad team. They're going to go to a good team. But if you're that good put-together team, why do you think – how can you take the chance that that's not going to happen to you? I, I, I just don't understand why teams think it's not going to happen to them. And that whole trend is just it's, – it's troubling. <laughs> I'm just so glad. That kind of stuff just does not happen where my heart is. Let's just put it that way. Let's um, go back to the game hotline. Hello. Yes, good morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. You just um, you said Kevin Durant is sensitive and what else now? Um, what did I? Well, I don't remember exactly what I said. He looked for the easy way. I mean, a lot, and he's not alone. There's a lot of athletes that look for the easy way. Wait, you just you just described half of the pop. You just described a majority of the population. That's true. In the U.S. too. I'll be honest. You just described. If you ever paid attention to the politicians in America, you just described ninety percent of them. Oh, I mean, I, I'm I'm okay. I am anti-politician, so you're not gonna get any argument from me. Hey, but Kevin, you were talking about baseball in reference to an ad bat and a plate appearance. Now, I've always said I don't follow baseball that much, but there's an, there's an actual difference. Like, yes, technically I, on the book, that yeah. it's recorded as different as a different thing. Yes, sir. If you get hit by a pitch, it's not an ad bat. If you hit a sacrifice fly or a sacrifice bunt, it's a plate appearance, but it's not an at-bat. Or if you walk, uh, it's a plate appearance, but not an at-bat. So how about if you strike out? If you strike out, it's an at-bat, yeah. I- any ball that you put really? in play is an at-bat. Okay, I just learned something new yep. today. <laughs> I never knew this. Absolutely. You know, another mistake that even see people who follow baseball on a regular base get, if you get on base on an error, that's not getting on base. That doesn't help your on base percentage. People get that. So and so reach base. No, they didn't. If they got on on an error. No, they didn't. Okay. Okay. Well, I definitely got something, uh, learned something new today. <laughs> no problem. Enjoy the, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, sir. Good talking to you. No, again, to David's point, I'm not saying Kevin Durant is like scum of the earth and all these other athletes are great. He's right. That's all over society. But but what I don't get is if I'm a, a good team, which, again, that's the only ones guys like Durant are going to, the good teams, why would you take a chance of dismantling your team for a guy who could just as easily and very decent chance of doing to your organization what he just did to the Nets or what he's trying to do to the Nets 
and what you you know what he did to the Warriors or the Thunder. I mean, and again, it's not just Kevin Durant to David's point. This happens a lot now. But how do you, why do you think is he's not going to do it to you? I guess. I guess it's kind of an organizational version of a head coach. When you ha- a lot of times you uh, you know a coach will go to a team and fail, and a coach will go to a team and fail, and then we say, well, why does that coach think that he's going to be able to f- succeed at that team, or why does that coach think he can make that quarterback work when all these other coaches failed with him? And I and I guess it goes back to you have confidence in yourself. You always think that. You can be the solution. And you got to have confidence to succeed. I guess I guess the organizations think like coaches do. Well, I can be the one to make that guy work. I can be the one to make that team or that organization win, even though these other people failed for whatever reason. I guess. But, man, I, I just – if I was a good team and I had – in my organization was headed in the right direction, again – that's the only kind of teams that these players want to go to that are elite. I mean, if you're Kevin Durant, why would you want to go to a donkey organization? But if you're a good team heading the right direction, why would you do that to yourself? I, I just don't understand that mentality. I don't get it. Don't get it. And maybe a lot of teams are thinking that way, which is why the Nets, if they indeed were in good faith trying to trade Durant like he has wanted. Um, Maybe that's why they're not getting great offers because no one wants to take that chance. Although, you know, if you believe the reports, the Celtics made a pretty good offer. Why the Celtics would want to dismantle their team, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? If if it's going to dismantle their team and mess them up, I hope they make the trade because I certainly don't want anything good to happen to the Celtics. But um but no, I I don't I don't uh, again, we haven't commented on this whole all summer long some stations you you know, you're on it's like all oh, they talk about is Kevin Durant and where is he going to go? It's like uh let let's let something happen then I commented. But this one was like really we're going to do this again. It just just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense and it doesn't seem to be a good trend and I don't know why anyone would who was headed in the right direction would want Kevin Durant and take that chance right now. But again, this is basketball. So it makes a little more sense in basketball because only five players on the court. I know, I know QWs. They think y'all think it's all about just the quarterback, but it's really, there's really more players involved in football than the quarterback. I know y'all disagree. It's a free country. Y'all can disagree all you want, but there's really more players involved in the sport of football than just the quarterback. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back. To footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you, Astros Rangers tonight, 710 first pitch. You can hear that game right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Justin Verlander against Otto. I think his first name is Glenn, but I could be wrong. Young pitcher. I remember he, I think it was last year he made his major league debut 
against the Astros, and Verlander is on fire. We'll see if he can continue. We'll see if the Astros can score some runs. They, we know this. They can score runs when Urquidy pitches. No one could ever explain that kind of stuff to me. Like, why is it? And it's not a new process. I remember one year, and I hate to praise this guy, but it's just an example that came to my mind. 1987, Nolan Ryan had a, led, the, led the National League with a 276 ERA, and I think his record that year was 8-16 and because the Astros never scored any runs when he pitched. And the Astros don't really score that many runs for Verlander. A few games they have. But they score a ton of runs when Urquidy pitches. I don't understand that mentality, but it kind of happens. So we'll see if they can score some runs tonight. I just hope they play Trey Mancini because the Astros, so many people, such a huge portion of the Astros fan base, they might just faint if they don't play Trey Mancini tonight. They are just convinced that Trey Mancini's like on the gonna gonna get on the MVP discussions here soon. So. Look, I, I don't know why they didn't play Trey Mancini. Why in the world would you possibly, against a left-handed pitcher, not start McCormick over Myers? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. McCormick doesn't hits left-handers. I mean, hits left-handers very well. If it was a right-handed pitcher, I could see not playing McCormick and playing Murphy. I mean, playing um, Myers, even though Myers is terrible against lefties or righties. He's just terrible, period. Uh, I don't get it. So I don't understand. I just know that it was a good thing they played Yuli. Uh, when Yuli made that scoop in the ninth, with a potential bad ninth happening, I was very glad Yuli was in there, and I was also very glad Diaz was in there instead and left instead of Mancini when he hit the grand slam. So it worked out. Doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but I just hope they play Mancini tonight because Astro fans won't better take it. They're gonna. They're gonna. They're going to all pass out, and I don't know what they're going to do. They got he's, He needs to start playing Mancini for the health of the Astro fans. Let's just put it that way. Vasquez got one of his patented dump a single into right field that he's done against the Astros so many times. So that was good to see. First time it's happened. Hopefully he's getting more comfortable. I know he can hit a bomb every once in a while, but what I really want from him is that clutch single to right, just dumping that little single to right, which he's so good at. That's what I want to see, especially with runners in scoring position uh, as the rest of the year season goes on when he's in the lineup. So appreciate all the phone calls. Appreciate Koki. Y'all have a nice day.